You're listening to the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Angela Decker. Thanks for joining us. The JX starts today with The Debrief, where JPR reporters discuss the stories they've been covering this week, including a Southern Oregon homeless case that's going to the Supreme Court, flooding in Humboldt County, and a contentious casino proposal in Medford. Here's JPR News Director Eric Newman and the JPR News team. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so we're going to start with you, Jane. Um, we found out last week that a court case that's based in Grant's Pass that you've been following for quite a while is now heading to the Supreme Court. Um, first, can you tell us a little bit about this case? Yeah. So like you said, it's from Grant's Pass. It has to do with homelessness. And so basically back in 2020, there was a court in Medford that ruled that Grant's Pass's ordinances about homelessness were unconstitutional. The court said they had elements that they considered to be cruel and unusual punishment. And people who were involuntarily homeless were basically being punished with tickets and fines for resting in public when they didn't have anywhere else to go. So basically, there aren't any low barrier shelters in Grants Pass. There's an estimated 1,200 unsheltered people there. And so number one, there's not enough beds Mm -hmm. in the shelters, period. And number two, like I said, there are requirements for each of the shelters. So if you don't fit um, those requirements, then there's no place for you to go in the city. And so then you're camping, sleeping, resting on the sidewalk, in public parks, and people were getting you know, ticketed, fined, punished when they didn't really have any other option. And so the, the complaint was that the city is trying to run homeless people out of town. Mm. And so there is some, some precedent there. The case was preceded uh, by a case called Martin versus the city of Boise, which is from 2018 which said that under the Eighth Amendment, cities can't punish homeless people for sleeping on public property when they can't get shelter. So Mm. there is some precedent there. Um, Obviously, Medford, like I said, in 2020 ruled in favor of unsheltered people. And then the city of Grants Pass has appealed that decision all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there's obviously a lot of history with this case, as you're alluding to. So what's the news with it now? So this just happened last Friday, a week ago, but we didn't get to talk to talk about it on the debrief then. So the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear this case, which is really exciting. Um, and the city of Grants Pass had asked uh, back in August of 2023 that the Supreme Court uh, would hear the case. And then there's all the legal back and forth and um, a lot of amicus briefs were filed, which are basically these extra legal arguments that, mm-hmm. that you can file. Um, and the justices met uh, last Friday in a private conference where they discuss all the potential cases, and then they vote on what they want to review. And they released an order list, which is the cases they either agree to hear or deny, and they've agreed to hear the the Grants Pass case. So this is based in Grants Pass, but it could have bigger ramifications um, beyond Southern Oregon. Um, What's the the significance of what the Supreme Court could decide? Yeah, so it it could have really big big consequences for how cities um, across the country, I would say, can can regulate homelessness, Um, especially, you know, this goes to the Ninth Circuit Court, which is these these Western states, which is um, where this this case has been appealed up through. But the Supreme Court does interpret laws on a national scale, obviously, so it's kind of to be determined, um, you know, what type of impacts this could, could have. Obviously, homeless is a huge problem everywhere. You know, it's not just a Grants Pass problem, uh, especially on the West Coast. So there is a lot of public interest in this. There were a lot of those um, amicus briefs that I mentioned that were filed on behalf of other cities on the West Coast and other interested groups. So like I said, there's a lot of um, interest and and support, I think, for, for discussing this issue. And then in terms of outcomes, there's a lot of potential outcomes. The Supreme Court can sort of do what they want. They, um, it depends how they decide to rule, uh, what, what the impact could be. Um, 
in Grants Pass, it's it's interesting. So Oregon did pass a law back in 2021 saying that rules regulating where homeless people can sleep or rest on public property have to be objectively reasonable when they're, you know, saying where and when and how people can sleep. So mm-hmm. no matter what the Supreme Court decides, I guess, unless they directly contradict that state law, Grants Pass still has to follow this state law. They still have to be objectively reasonable in their rules regulating where homeless people can be. And then in talking to the the mayor, I just did a, a big story about this a few weeks ago. The mayor of Grants Pass, Sarah Bristol, was saying in her opinion, like, it doesn't entirely matter what the Supreme Court does because um, the city is still going to need shelter. Like, no matter how they how they rule, no matter what happens, this case has drag, dragged on for a really long time. And everyone's just kind of looking for solutions. But she was like, we have hundreds of, you know, unsheltered people in the city and we're still just going to need shelter for them. Right. So there's kind of like parallel laws now between yeah. or, or decisions, I guess between uh, cities like Grants Pass and what the Supreme Court could decide that all have to be worked out at once. Exactly, yeah. Um, so what's going to happen next? Who knows? It's, it's a, like I said, it's uh, up to the Supreme Court. They can you know, decide. Um, we don't know when the case is going to be scheduled for, for oral arguments, so we'll be, be following along with that. Um, I did speak with a professor at the University of Oregon School of Law uh, back in October. His name is Garrett Epps, and he had said then that he predicted the case would be heard by the Supreme Court, which he's right about. And beyond that, he said it's basically just up to the justices. It's Oz the Great and Terrible. There's no way to to predict what the giant head is going to say because we can't look behind the curtain. (laughs) So we'll just have to sort of uh, follow along and and see what happens next. Okay, thanks. Uh, That was uh, JPR reporter Jane Vaughn. Um, We're next going to turn to Justin Higginbottom, a new voice here at JPR. Um, Justin, you worked on a story uh, this past week about the Coquel Indian tribe, which is trying to build a new casino in Medford. Um, But they're getting a lot of pushback. Um, can you give us some background about this project? Yeah, so they first proposed the project uh, quite a while ago, way back in 2012. Um, it would go on land that the tribe owns. Right now it's being used as a bowling alley. But they have plans to turn that into a class two casino, so with slot machines and, and such. Um, but for the tribe to be able to do this, to have a casino there, the property needs to first be put under federal trust. Um, Previous efforts at trying this were shot down by the Department of the Interior, Um, but this administration has changed their mind and they're going ahead with looking at the proposal at least, and it's not a sure thing yet, but it's uh, still alive. Okay. So there's lots of critics about this project, as you mentioned in your story, especially from other tribes that are in the area. What are they saying? Well, the issue is that the land isn't part of the Coquilla Reservation. It's actually 150 miles from it. Their reservation is near the coast, and they already have a casino there. Hmm. Um, Critics, like you mentioned, include other tribes in the region, um, but also senators from Oregon and California, uh, Oregon Governor Tina Kotek. Um, And basically what tribes are saying is that this casino could draw revenue away from their casinos. Oregon has a one casino, one tribe agreement to kind of prevent this, but that's that's not law. Um, it's just it's just an agreement between the tribes and uh, Oregon government. The chairman of the Karuk tribe says their casino in Northern California could lose close uh, could lose enough revenue basically to impact tribal services. Gaming for for tribes helps fund things like tribal health care. Um, he also said it could kick off a kind of arms race between tribes around the country. If a tribe's able to open a casino off the reservation, then the whole market could become oversaturated. Hmm. 
Um, so how do the Coquel tribe respond to these criticisms? I talked with someone working on the tribe's economic development team, and he basically said that competition is the name of the game. The tribe has had to compete with other nearby gaming, um, and to compete, they've had to, you know, try to build a better product and attract customers, and and that's capitalism. Gotcha. A free market answer to this competition. So your story mentions uh, the federal government needing to do an environmental assessment um, for this proposal. What's next with what could happen with this now decade-long issue? Yes, yeah, so we're still waiting on that final assessment, but there's no expected issues there uh, environmentally. So if it's favorable, then the project will move forward. Um, there will be a public comment period before any final decision. But, you know, this, this project has been worked on for a while now. And during that time, we haven't seen a nationwide trend of tribes trying to open casinos off reservation that some have predicted. Um, but if this land is put into federal trust and the Coquel build a casino there, then it's at least possible that other tribes around the country will look at this as precedent and possibly expand their gaming off their, off their land. Okay. Thanks, Justin. Thanks. Uh, okay, now we're going to turn to JPR reporter Roman Battaglia. Uh, Roman, you did some reporting this week about a big decision from Grant's past-based coffee company, Dutch Bros. What did they announce? <laughs> uh, they had announced just earlier this week that they're moving 40% of their total support staff um, to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, they said they're going to be doing this over the next year by January 1st of next year. Uh, we don't actually know how many people that entails. They wouldn't give a clear answer of like, what 40% of their staff is, and it's kind of hard to tell who is support staff. We don't even really know what that means. Um, they had said that you know these roles are primarily strategic in nature and those that support day-to-day -day operations. Um, I was looking just to try and get an idea of like what a support position would entail. I went to their job application site, and it looks like they are hiring some like facilities, project coordinators, developers, and like IT positions in Arizona. So that might be an idea of some of the types of support positions that might be moved from their current headquarters in Grants Pass. Um, we don't really know what that's going to mean for employees, how the company will help them move if they're going to, or you know how that's going to affect things. They haven't really given a lot of details. So why are they deciding to move staff to Arizona in the first place? Yeah, so their main reason that they said is that this is because Arizona is more central to the operations of the company now. They've been expanding eastward. Um, it sounds like you know some of these support positions, especially since they're supporting day-to-day -day operations, they might need better access to stores across the Dutch Bros network. And you know now they have stores as far east as Tennessee, and I saw their opening locations in Florida now. Um, so they had said that the Phoenix airport is a much better place to get everywhere than Grants Pass. You know, Grants Pass in Southern Oregon, it's not super accessible. There's no airport in Grants Pass. You mm -hmm. got to go to Eugene or Medford. So it kind of makes it hard for some of these support staff to get to these markets where they need to. And then they also said that just another plus was that the Phoenix market that they opened up in is one of their strongest, hmm. you know, in the network. So it just like having a presence there will help. Um, and the company's new CEO, Christine Barone, um, is also based in Arizona. She took over as the CEO this year. Um, she was also the company's president for the past year. Okay. So um, how does this fit in with uh, Dutch Bros' future plans for growth? Yeah, they definitely have some major expansion plans. Um, right now, when I was looking at some financial reports, the company went public 
couple of years ago, they have a goal of having about 4,000 total stores nationwide in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, right now, they have around 830 stores across 16 states. And just to put that in perspective, um, if we're looking at Starbucks, Starbucks has around 16,000 locations in the U.S. right now, and they have 20,000 total planned in the long term. So, you know, not as much as Starbucks, but that's still a significant amount compared to what they currently have. Yeah. Um, their new CEO, Christine Barone, also has, you know, these major expansion plans. She has experience as, as an executive at Starbucks, um, and they're also opening this new roasting facility this year in Texas to better serve their eastern U.S. stores that they're kind of expanding into. So does that mean that Dutch Bros is going to become an Arizona-based company if they're shifting all these employees there? No, not necessarily. And they had said that they're still going to have a big presence in Grants Pass. They, they're still headquartered officially in Grants Pass. Um, I mean, I don't really know what that means, considering a lot of these support staff are going to be in Arizona now. But there's also the main roasting facility in Grants Pass. Um, and we'll basically find out more about what all of this means during their next earnings call in mid-February. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, Roman. Um, Jane, we're going to turn back to you. Uh, you did a little bit of coverage this week about um, some flooding that happened in Humboldt County. Um, can you just give us uh, an update about the status of that flooding? Yeah. So there was a, a huge storm last weekend, as, as everyone probably knows. Uh, the big flooding and, and rain happened on Saturday. Humboldt County was hit pretty hard and a lot of the roads were washed out and, you know, flooding homes, businesses, farmland. Some places got between five to seven inches of rain, maybe up to 10 inches. Wow. Um, Crescent City and Eureka broke their daily rainfall records. Um, and the, the real kicker was that there was flooding from the Mad River, but then there was also all this localized flooding from smaller creeks and streams throughout the county. So hmm. um, that really kind of spread out the impacts. And then on Tuesday this week, the county sheriff declared a local emergency there, which is basically the first step to get uh, state or federal recovery assistance. And I talked to the county emergency services program manager this week, and he said that could be up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. Um, yeah, the uh, images of the roads washing out yeah. was really dramatic. Crazy. Uh, it seems like they're still doing a lot of work to mm -hmm. fix things there. So what are you going to be watching for next with uh, – we have some weather coming in this weekend, I think. Yeah. So uh, first of all, Humboldt County is working to sort of categorize their damage assessments. So um, residents can report the level of damage to their property on the county's Office of Emergency Services website. So if you're a Humboldt County resident and your property was damaged, you can do that. It's not an insurance form. You won't be compensated. It is just to help the county sort of categorize the, the damage that happened. And that can help the state. Um, then they're going to work with the state to figure out how to uh, potentially be compensated um, for reimbursement, for repairs, for roads and things. And then, yeah, there is another storm coming this weekend. I know some residents are worried. Um, but again, the county emergency services program manager says it's not supposed to be as severe as last week's storm, last weekend storm. There will be some rain and wind. There might be some minor flooding on Monday and there is the potential for landslides. So do be careful. But he says it is not supposed to be as bad as last week. Okay. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, everybody. Um, that's going to do it for the debrief this week. Thanks for listening. You can reach the newsroom with comments about our coverage and suggestions for things we should cover in the future through our news tip line, which is on our website at ijpr.org. Uh, you can find this program and more on our website at jeffexchange.org, or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms. 